Welcome to the Top Gear Magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello, I'm Jack Ricks, Top Gear Magazine's editor, joined by Rowan Horncastle, Top Gear's head of content. And this episode, we're talking about driving a Hyundai across the outback, almost crashing a £2 million Pininfarina Batista, and how Tesla became so big. But first, Rowan, what's been going through your mind? Good to see you, Jack. Um, oh, yeah, good to see you too. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, deep nice Space has been going through my Ooh, mind. Oh, been on the old pipe, have you? No, not that kind of deep space. No no cosmic uh, journey here. John Hennessy's Deep Space. Oh, Have yes. you seen that? Yes, 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 yes. Literally, news just in. Mental. That's the only way to describe it. <laughs> and, uh, the inner workings of John Hennessy I find absolutely fascinating. It is a man obsessed with more. Yes. More everything. More, more power, more, well, in this case, more wheels, well, more he axles. Like, he, he's, done, he's done that before with the, you know, the mammoth TRX, the other, all the other six-wheelers he's done, but... He's taken that philosophy, added it to what else is in his cookbook of going very fast, having mm-hmm. lots of power. Yeah. But then, yeah, a 2,000 horsepower, uh, six-wheel GT with a diamond-configured uh, seating position, yeah. including a seat to be hung over it in, in the back where you just lay down. <laughs> I don't really understand. It's the, the VIP seat. You're basically, it's so the back of the diamond is for, you know, but you've got your bodyguards either side, you've got your chauffeur up front, and you're just, yeah, passed out in the back on quaaludes. Um, but I know. don't understand. I th- like the bodyguards, they must have to, like, post you into it. I, but, it, it I, <laughs> but you miss a really important thing there, Ron. This is an electric car. This is John Hennessy's first take on electric. And the reason he's done it, apparently, is because, well, you have in-wheel motors, don't you? So let's say 500 horsepower per motor. He's just gone, well, if you want more motors to give you more power, you need more wheels. So hence the six wheel. It's basically the length length of like Lady Penelope's car and Thunderbirds. It's like a mad, mad looking thing. I've got so many questions. I know. And the, 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 do you know the word that you said a lot there? More. Because more, he's yeah. Mr. Moore, basically. He, he needs to change his name. But also, you're right, it's so long. I think the only place you could drive it is deep space. But anyway, <laughs> it, I have to speak to him. Well, we have to speak to him. I think we need to get him on the phone to let's kind get, of see the inner workings of John Hennessy. Let's get Big John on the line um, because he's got some questions to answer. Yeah. Operator, connect us to Texas, please. Right, here he is, straight from Texas. John Hennessy, the man himself. Hey guys, great to be with y'all. Hey John, how's it going? Now, John, I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump right in. This six uh, six wheeled full electric hyper GT. This is some sort of April Fools, isn't it? You well, actually gonna I make it? I think we're a little early for April Fools. No, we're, <laughs> we're, we're we're crazy enough that we're serious about this. Oh, and if you man. like, I can just tell you that, that I mean, the, the, what's the, how do we how do we arrive at a six wheel drive, six electric motor, diamond shaped interior? It was basically it's the culmination of ten years of my internal struggle with how does Hennessy do electrification and do it differently than has ever been done before. And when our head of design uh, came on board with us about two and a half years ago, he was at my house and I said, hey, I've got this idea for this electric car. I'd like to describe it to you. He said, hey, before you describe it, grab a pen and paper and I'll try to sketch it as you 
tell me about it. Oh, that's so that's I the sketch, actually. You, you yeah. gave us that sketch. We ran it in yeah. the magazine. Oh, in yeah. fact, there's a yeah. photo of the napkin in, in the issue, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah, the back of an envelope, literally. I couldn't find a clean sheet of paper. And that's kind of... <laughs> so that was a, that, and that, so that was October of, of 20, and we were still... Uh, I'm sorry, that was October of, of 19. That was a year before the first F5 was completed. And I just said, Nathan, this is exciting, but we have to like put this on hold because we have more pressing things to be done with F5. And so after we launched the car and uh, unveiled our second car at, uh, at Quail and then sold out all of our F5s, I thought, well, is it really too early to talk about deep space? And I thought, you know what? I think I think the world should know that Hennessy is planning on building a fully electrified car after F5. So and that's as, where it that came from. And as you said to us when we, we, we spoke to you uh, a little while back, you didn't want anyone to steal your idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I had so I had COVID, <laughs> and I was in the kind of this delirious sickness for about three weeks. And I kept thinking, like, well, what if somebody else comes out with a six-wheel, six-electric motor, or electrified car, or diamond-shaped interior? That just kind of just kept bugging me. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but I, uh, I th- I'd say the chances are, are slim to none. Yeah, I haven't but, seen okay. Ford or VW announce it yet. Have you? No, I haven't yeah. seen them. Maybe come the, up the ID Seven. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, ID yeah, Seven yeah. Diamond Edition, yeah. six-wheel. So, so yeah. go on, give us the give us the um, give us the sort of uh, the thinking behind six wheels. I imagine it's because you have a motor per wheel, more wheels, more motors, Correct. more power, more traction. Yeah, more. Blah, you blah. have more power. You have more grip. Um, and then, by virtue of having the longer wheelbase, th- this car, it, w- we believe that we're creating a whole new category that others will certainly are certainly working on and will follow. And that is, uh, you know, if if the Gamera is a hyper GT, we believe that D space is a hyper luxury car and we really want it to more skew towards luxury than performance. It will have plenty of performance, but we also want it to be roomy and comfortable and, and the latest technology. And so having the ability to have the lie flat seats in the rear, but still very driver focused. So, you know, you have to ask yourself the question, if you own it, do you want to, do you want to be the chauffeur or do you want to be the passenger? So you kind of have that, <laughs> that, that dual option, but also by virtue of having all this room and room for golf clubs and room for luggage You've got a really long wheelbase, I and mean, the car is almost twenty feet long. Easy and to park, then. Yeah. Well, we're working on that. We're, we have. <laughs> I think you'll see in due time. We'll share some some clever features of deep space that will make it a bit easier to maneuver and park. Um, but yeah, I, I think again that with the hyper luxury. So by virtue of having this vehicle that's nearly twenty feet long, it's as, as long as a Chevrolet Suburban. Um, we, by virtue of that, we have a big, we have the, the packaging for a big battery. So uh, we don't know specifically what our range will be, but we, if we can go a thousand kilometers on a proper charge, we think that would be neat. So 620 miles. So we'll see. I don't know if that's reality or not, but uh, we'll but be able get, that, to. That's the other thing about the big wheelbase, isn't it? That's that's where you put the battery. So yeah, more wheels, more wheelbase, uh, more battery, and and you create this thing. I just want to know more about that diamond seating formation. Mm. So you've you talk about uh, so driver in the middle, so central yes. driving position, which is uh, immediately exciting, sure. and then who, who's flanking them? You got your chauffeur so you, up front, bodyguards yeah, so you, either side. So you, yeah, you, so you have the two <laughs> flanking seats, but unlike McLaren F1 or, or Speedtail, I mean these are proper seats with proper legroom. They're not designed for you know small adults or children or whatever. So you got the ability to bring the seats forward or, or, or backwards. And they don't interfere with the with the VVIP, the life flat seat that's all the way in the back. Um, so yeah, we've got a client who ordered one, and <laughs> he he wants to be able to go to the opera with his driver and 
his girlfriend next to him and they're going to put the dog in the back. So, you know, <laughs> oh. she really, yeah, seriously happy, happy is the name of their dog and happy is the most spoiled animal in the world. As far as, as far as I've ever as seen. As a pampered so, pooch. Yeah, exactly. Pampered pooch. Exactly. <laughs> I thought it was just like the hangover bench. I've been on many yeah. a long road trip and you've had a few the night before and your friend's driving. Like, I just wish I could sleep a live flat seat yeah. in something. I'm sure it's going to have ballistic performance, isn't it, John? Well, with the six, you know, the, the grip from the six tires and the six electric motors, again, we're not talking specifics on power, but it does have the potential for over 2,000 brake horsepower. And um, yeah, so again, we're not building it for top speed, but I believe that it may it may have an opportunity to be the, the quickest accelerating four-seat car in, in history from zero to 200 miles per hour. So we'll see. I mean, it's not <laughs> going to be light. It's not designed as a, you know, you're not going to be taken to Silverstone and, and carving laps, but it's a... It's a proper, proper luxurious um, GT car that you can go on trips and put all your stuff and your people in it. And uh, and if you're like us, you'll want to get there quickly. But if, you, yeah, but if you say idiots won't take it on track, the first thing we're going to ask you to do <laughs> is go to the circuit of the Americas of and do a lap in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, John, you mentioned there that uh, you mentioned a customer had ordered one, so you know that immediately makes it a real thing and makes it more more tangible. How many? How many do you want to build? When do you reckon you can deliver yeah. them? How much is it going to cost? Great question. So, so we're we're real busy and very focused on F five and delivering F fives, and I can give you more of an update on that on the tail end of the conversation. But uh, so we'll be busy with F five activity through twenty six. So we're looking at bringing deep space on board 26, 27. We'd like to build 105 cars, our customers and dealers. So far, interestingly enough, so we've delivered three F5s and two of the three clients have ordered the car. And the third guy uh, will probably order the car. He, he's asked every question except for how soon can I get it? So, <laughs> so I think we're going to see a lot of repeat business in that regard. And I think also... Um, electrification opens up, uh, uh, opens us up to a new group of buyers that maybe weren't considering internal combustion to begin with. And mm. so I think that that kind of, we're seeing some neat crossover where, you know, old school ice guys like me are like, wow, electrification is kind of cool. And mm. the new architecture allows us to get really creative and do some really cool stuff and, well, and vice versa where I tell you, maybe even, yeah. Electrification is definitely cool if you've got an F5 Venom park next to your electric car in the yang you know oh absolutely and, and and at some point you you guys will probably meet our our customer that ordered the first car and that's exactly what he wants he wants his deep space park next to his f5 yeah. <laughs> so just to give if our you know our readers and viewers aren't aware of it and listeners f5 where are we at with that so just give us the skinny on a the project yeah. if no one's heard of it and then yeah. where you're at because it's pretty sure. tasty yeah, so um, we displayed a couple of cars at uh, Car Week in Pebble Beach back in August, and soon thereafter sold out all 24 coupes. Um, we are, we've run the car deep into the 250s and um, gradually working our way towards 300 miles per hour. Um, we should be wrapping up development on that fairly soon. Uh, but again, we've, de we've delivered a handful of cars to clients, and we'll continue to be very focused on client deliveries. And then uh, in due time, we'll be sharing some exciting news with you guys and your and your followers regarding maybe an upcoming variant of the F5 that uh, maybe takes it in a slightly different direction. Interesting. Oh, Loves a teaser, yeah. John oh, Hennessy. Yes. The plot thickens. Yeah. Oh. Yes. And I, I look, I, the only first-hand experience, um, we obviously shot the F5 in the studio sure. uh, a while back, and... Uh, 
we switched it on because we had to we had to sort of maneuver it around the studio. The noise yeah. that thing makes, it's like a it's like a kind of dragster, but that it's it's like the all American V eight just turned up to just eleven. It's, it's like having it's a insane. Spitfire or P fifty one Mustang in your garage, right? That's the one. Yeah. It's it's yep. it's a phenomenal it's the antidote to to this kind of you know these more clinical electrified future that we're all facing it's and that's what our, our clients our clients and dealers and enthusiasts are telling us embrace your internal combustion john don't give it up <laughs> don't go to the dark side i'm like i think we can do both and i but i think that there's a real premium on desirability of of cutting edge extreme internal combustion cars and might might fi be the you know, the greatest, most powerful internal combustion car we've ever built. Probably, I don't know that we'll, I don't know that we have any, we don't have any plans to try to, you know, top what we've done with F5. So again, as far as our legacy, I'm almost 60 years old. So as I get older and and, and move on, uh, I, I think we want that car to be like the car that people look at, at least our clients and fans say, hey, that was, that was the pinnacle of what Hennessy was building for internal combustion. Pretty cool. Well, yeah. Well, I'm planning to fly out to see you and see the F5s and builds in a couple of weeks' time, which I'm super excited about. But also, it's been a while since we've driven some crazy American cars, yeah. and there's you've just yeah. got a whole fleet of them outside your. Uh, yeah, well, you're your going facility. to the right place to drive some crazy. We've American got some cars. surprises for you. We how about how about a, how about a mammoth six by six with a <laughs> with a elephant engine in it? So Wait. we've got that waiting for you. Oh, what's a hell th thousand? Thousand. Well, well it's, it's a thousand from Mopar, but we bump it to twelve hundred. Oh, of course, because more is more. This is John Hennessy, yeah, yeah, but because yeah. everything's bigger and faster in Texas. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Great stuff. All right, John. That's just brilliant. I mean, so much going on. It's such an exciting time for you. Please take us along on the journey with you, and we'll take our readers and listeners and everyone along as well. Absolutely, um, be our pleasure. So so, so, so good to talk to you. Always great Cheers, to see you, guys. John. See you soon Thank on the you. other see side. You soon. Fascinating, fascinating stuff there from John. And speaking of extremely fast electric cars, the story I want to talk about from this issue is the Pininfarina Batista in Miami. So it's our Hyper GT of the year in the awards issue. And um, it's an interesting story because it's very much a story of two parts. It almost didn't happen at all. We were out in um, out in Los Angeles and... Uh, the whole thing was set up. We were going to be driving it on road, on track, uh, Chuck Waller racetrack, and uh, uh, got there midnight to the hotel before the day we, it was all supposed to be happening. And the PR for Pininfarina sat us down and said, yeah, the car's not working. The steering rack or something had broken. And so there we were. We come all the way to America to drive the car, and we couldn't because, believe it or not, you don't tend to have extra Pininfarina Batistas down the back of the sofa when one breaks. There was literally one car that was doing a tour of America. Fortunately, we managed to regroup, make another plan, and two weeks later, the car was out in Miami, so we then went out to Miami and tried to recreate the same idea in a different setting. Um, and the idea being, you know, this is a car that costs two million pounds it's an electric hypercar it's the kind of new wave of performance but what would it be like trying to live a little bit of that billionaire lifestyle for a day um and that's how we that's how we set the whole thing up um so we started if rowan was there by the way I, so, I was there, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not used to the billionaire lifestyle like you are, so I was just basically hanging on to your coattails and just seeing how, how the other half lived. Nah, multi-millionaire yeah. lifestyle, let's just call it that. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so we, we, we started out, we spoke to Sotheby's Realty and, and borrowed a £7 million mansion off them in, in, in Miami, which was just hilarious. But the perfect place to shoot the car. So we parked it on the driveway outside. They gave us the keys. We went in, uh, sort of lounged about on the sofas, um, you know, kicked our feet. Uh, kicked our shoes off and put our feet up and um and that was kind of the start of our um of our video uh and then we drove it around the roads and then we took it to the racetrack which is where it got quite interesting so what was the name of the track again it was the it was the nascar track in miami wasn't it oh my brain my brain has just you're falling out of my body and I can't remember. Poor adult early 30s brain. No, it's too much deep space. Uh, <laughs> I th- Homestead Miami. Homestead Miami. Homestead Miami. Which was bizarre turning up to a whole NASCAR circuit for us when the grandstands were empty and we had full run of the place for uh, meant to be a day. Mm-hmm. But we arrived at the circuit to see the Batista yeah. uh, and we were told it had 30% charge in it. And we had to do a full day's worth of filming. Yeah. And with electric cars, you need to charge them, which takes more time out of the day. But then we found out the charger wasn't working either. So we yeah. had 30%. To well, that's why it only had 30%. They were trying to charge it overnight, but the charger had somehow failed. Um, long story short, lots of panic, lots of sweating, lots of running around trying to pretend everything was fine. Eventually, they got the charger working uh, and everything was fine. I can't remember what time we actually got out on track, but look. We we got out there and it was amazing. Um, well, no, hold on. This is Miami uh, at this time of the year, so it was storm season. Yeah. So as it was uh, charging, we saw these clouds get blacker, thicker, heavier, and roll in, and then the mother of all storms flooded the whole of the. Well, circuit. we did. We managed to get out. We did a little bit of dry running f- first. I think we maybe got half an hour. No, an it was hour slow, yeah, slow speed stuff yeah. just to get those pickup shots. Which, yeah. People may not understand that we need there's so much coverage that we need for photography and video for the whole thing that uh, we we had to we ha- we did that using minimal charge, Jack feathering the throttle as best as he could, and then we're like, right, we're in danger territory for for charging here. So then the new charger arrived, which came on the back of an Arctic lorry. So it wasn't <laughs> just a case of pulling the fuse out, you know, blowing on the plug and then putting it in again and praying for the best. There was some heavy engineering that was involved. Anyway, it started throwing electricity into the car at quite the rate but then that is when the dark thick heavy clouds came yeah, in that's when the that's when the storms came in flooded the track we were then stuck in the pits again waiting for it to dry out because um believe it or not a car that has 1900 horsepower uh, and it's on cup 2Rs and it weighs well over 2 tons yeah isn't that much fun in the wet um so when we actually did go back out there's still quite a bit of moisture on the track. So um, we got to play with the best toy in the world, the one that I've seen on the internet, the Jets machine. I, it's called the Buffalo. Oh, it's basically yes. the NASCAR the NASCAR dry machine, which is, you know, take the back end of a jet fighter out, put it on a lorry, and then just blow the living hell out yeah. of a, a, a tarmac and wait until it dries. Please insert a picture of it here. If, you, if, you haven't, if you're not watching the video of this, go on YouTube and watch the video because you have to see a picture of this thing. It's an enormous hairdryer on the back of a pickup truck. So they did their best. They drove around the track, tried, but there was still some moisture on the track. And honestly, once we get up, got out there and we need to do our high-speed stuff, um, there was zero grip and the thing about this car you know it's extremely clever um you've got four motors you've got full torque vectoring you know this is the thing about electric cars you can control to the nth degree exactly how much torque you want to send to each individual wheel which gives you an amazing amount of control 
in the dry. And actually, it's what makes them feel a lot lighter than they are because you can you can find grip. But um, but yeah, when there's only so much physics that a car can handle. Um, you know, these Cup 2R tyres cut slicks, basically. Not very good for getting water out of the way. Um, so it's quite interesting. Um, there was one moment, and Pininfarina, if you're listening, you probably didn't know about this, where we were ridiculously close to having an accident. Um, came around a corner, car, you know, snapped sideways. Uh, tried to catch it, snapped the other way, span around, went on the grass, and wet grass, you just keep on going. And we stopped broadside about a foot from the barrier. I mean, you know when when you're spinning and you think, well, this is going to happen. You well, I don't, but yeah. You've come on. Yeah, you've, no, no, yeah. no, no, okay. um, yeah, everything goes into slow motion, and your brain sort of relaxes and accepts the fact that you're about to make impact with something. It was full slow motion. Um, I was so close to the to the barrier I don't think I could have opened my door James Goff who's the videographer was sitting next to me turned very white mm. um, and luckily we were on the opposite side of the track to the pit so Pininfarina never knew but then you know these electric cars they drive differently to what we traditionally mm. used to and which, you know the first generation we're still trying to get used to them but also big power so the test driver went in it afterwards he did exactly the same thing yeah. So, and this is the man who spent more hours behind the wheel thing and uh, you know, he didn't just have one spin, sorry, but yeah, a few, because the way, when it loses traction, the yeah. motors just go and they just, you know, the weight is just in the wrong place for these places, so it just goes. So yeah. I'll give you that as a mulligan for that, you know, for that one. Cheers, mate. Um, what was interesting, actually, is as the track dried, you could feel the electronic systems coming back in, you know, the torque vectoring starting to have a bit of an effect. So really, it's an amazing car. Once you're, once it's working and it's gripping and everything's um, working as it should, it's an insane experience. So we lined it up on the straight. Obviously, everyone wants to know what 2,000 electric horsepower feels like. Um, so I lined it up, found a dry line, floored it, and the acceleration is just ridiculous. It makes a Taycan, I think I said in the video, it makes a Taycan seem like a G-Wiz, but it genuinely is. Rips your face off. And I looked down, I wasn't even in the, um, I wasn't even in the top mode. So the top mode is called Furiosa. That's when you get all the power and all the torque vectoring and everything. I was in the one below it, which limits you to about 1,300 horsepower. So there I was, screaming at the camera, oh, well, you know, this is the most, the fastest car I've ever been in. I'd left 500 horsepower on the table, which is just insane. But also, they just look bizarre. The way they act, it's, it's still taking a lot of adjustment to the noise, but the speed it takes off when it comes at you mm. silently, and yeah. then all you just hear is tyres when it, you know it's cornering, basically. You know, is mad, but you know this. You know, it's an award winner for being, you know, you know, hyper GT of the year and an incredibly exciting EV. There is a future for these things, and it shows that for the very rich people in the world, there you know, there is somewhere to put their money in mm -hmm. fast, expensive cars afterwards. Absolutely. I mean, there there, there, look, there are drawbacks between. Uh, not having, you know, you look at the Valkyrie and the Gordon Murray T50 and you've got these incredible high-revving V12s and just the noise is going to add so much to the experience. But the experience you're getting is totally unique. It is. The accelerative force, the way that they're so easy to drive around town, you know, you can one-pedal these cars around town. Um, it is a unique experience. So if you're a billionaire who basically just buys up anything you like the look of, I'd definitely have one of those in your garage because it offers something different. Yeah. But do you know what? I want someone else's take on the EV market or someone who can give us a snapshot insight into it. Do you want, 
Do you want the horocopter? I want the horocopter. I'm feeling a bit of horocopter. Let's rev up. Oh, let's get him revved up. This is Paul Horrell. He's a contributing editor. Um, He's just one of the most experienced car journalists in the world. If Paul doesn't know it, it's not worth knowing. He's the OG of car journalism. Let's get him on the line. And what we're going to do is throw a topic at him. This is going to be totally blind, genuinely totally blind. And we're going to give him 60 seconds to explain a very complicated subject. And it's simple as that, really. So let's get Paul on. Yeah. And it's not going to be deep space, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Mr. Paul Horrell. Are you there? Yeah, I'm right here. Yeah. You're right there. Oh, for the benefit of the audio listeners out there, Paul is sporting... A very fetching South Park T-shirt. There it is. I didn't didn't have you pinned as a as a South Park fan. I have to be honest. Oh well, you know, a bit of rude simplicity is fine. Much of the some of the time. You know. <laughs> okay, right, Paul. You know the rules. Uh, we're going to give you sixty seconds to talk about an extremely complicated concept. Um, and we are going to be strict about this. I'm going to be timing it on my phone, and this is completely blind. You have no practice, no warm-up, no nothing. This is off the cuff, as they say. Um, so, Rowan, would you like to introduce this month's Can it be topic? something I know nothing about, Rowan? Because the last two, because I, <laughs> I knew something about them, I just couldn't do the minute. So just know, ask me about something worry. about which I know you nothing. Know, ask this, me about this Formula is a One very... or something, because I'll tell you all I know about <laughs> Formula One in 27 seconds, and then it'll just be a long pause. No, but Paul, you know absolutely everything about everything. That's why we have to get you on to talk to us. But for this month and this edition, can you please tell us and our audience how Tesla blindsided the automotive industry to become a company worth $850 billion? How did that happen? Go. I think what happens uh, in the valuation of companies by the stock markets is that they look at the potential very long-term value rather than valuing uh, short-term assets. Uh, So the other car companies all have uh, expensive things like factories and all of that, and they don't actually make very much money every year on their factories. But people just basically take a bet on Tesla. So they think that, uh, by people I mean the investors, um, <clears throat> they think that Tesla doesn't have much um, to its name at uh, 30, in these 30 years. But it had the potential to, uh, to, to grow in the very long term. And it's growth wasn't going to be dragged back by having all sorts of old assets that it didn't need, like engine factories, gearbox factories, um, and indeed people who didn't believe in it. Um, See, that's the trouble. If you are uh, Ford or something and you come out with an electric car, people will go, yeah, well, it's just a Ford. Whereas what Tesla had, oh, I've got to stop. Stop. There we go. You actually stopped yourself. You're becoming... (laughs) Yeah, I know. uh, You're becoming straight... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, you dummy me. That you threw was... me a dummy by giving me one minute, didn't you? Or did I just press the... Was I a bit trigger-happy at the beginning? One minute, one second. One minute, 1.58 seconds okay. you got there. So count yourself lucky. Right. Um, Paul, that was great. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot about the stock market and future valuations of companies because it is bizarre. Um, uh, what's the new startup? Rivian. Rivian. Apparently worth... worth more than the Volkswagen Group, I think. And they've delivered about 60 cars so far. Yeah. Lucid have delivered yeah. 350 as we speak. And uh, their valuation, again, is, 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 is multiples more than Toyota. And, I mean, it's not, and it's, not like, it's not like Toyota's, you know, like a bit shonky. Most people would agree that Toyota is really quite good at being a car company. Well, they know how to build cars. You know, they, need to, they know how to build cars. Now, Paul, thank you so much. 
That was fantastic. Okay. See you next month. We'll see you next time. Paul Horrell there, ladies and gentlemen, a sensational human being. All right, uh, Rowan, what else we got going on in this issue, in the awards issue? Well, you know, big one, awards issue, covering all bases here. So, quick flick through. So, yeah, Ollie Q's been in the EQS for Luxury Car of the Year and then... Driving from Edinburgh to London and not making it. Well, you have to read the story to see what really happened there. (laughs) But it wasn't wasn't, wasn't made easy for him. Uh, Chris Harris has given the Porsche 911 GT3... His car of the year. <gasps> Shock horror. Exactly, exactly. And uh, we were out in LA with the Porsche Mission R, super exciting, all-electric race car, uh, to, to you know see what the future of racing is like. That was our uh, EV concept of the year. But the big winner, is it surprising? It's not surprising. It's, a, it's an incredible car. Well, it might surprise some people, seeing as it's... You can pick one up for, what, 25 grand? Yeah. Um, you see, we're not all about supercars and glamour here at Top Gear. Um, the Hyundai i20N. So our overall car of the year is the Hyundai i20N. And, of course, we wanted to do something um, really special with this car. Now, the premise behind the feature idea we came up with was basically we'd driven the i20N on track. And it had been superb. It's our already our reigning performance car of the year. We've driven it on British B roads, and it's brilliant. It's probably quicker down a windy road than a Ferrari SF90, maybe. Um, but we wanted to push it, to put it in an environment that you're probably never going to use this car in. But if you're going to win the big gong in the Top Gear Awards, you need to be pushed out of your comfort zone. So... We, we took decided it to Swindon. To go. <laughs> so we decided to go to Milton Keynes. No, we decided to uh, put together an epic road trip across the Australian outback, as you do. And that's where our Australian correspondent, Craig, comes in. Craig, are you there? I am. How you doing, mate? Yeah, very good. Very Craig, good. you're upside down, mate. Oh, yeah, again? Just... Oh, <laughs> the gags are endless. And then all the Stranger Things ones. Let me get in ahead of you there. Okay, yes, look like Hopper from the Upside Down. Actually, it's good timing because new series of Stranger Things on the horizon. So that's that's really why we've got you on. We're, we're um, not here to talk about that. We're not here to talk about that. We want to know all about your big feature across Australia because, you know, especially when we haven't been travelling at the other side of the world, that's what we can offer at Top Gear is an experience uh, through the pages that, you know, people, especially when there's a pandemic on, can't do. So where did the idea come from to test and where did you go? Yeah, what was the plan A? Because let's start there, because what, what did you intend to do? You did, a lot of, uh, you did a lot of logistics and a lot of planning. Tell us about plan A and then we'll move on to plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H and Z. Yeah, plan A started, Jack gave me a call um, about 10 o'clock one night, I think it was, so let's say midday in the UK, and said, look, we uh, we think this this I-20N, it's, it's pretty special, but we just want to make sure. And I'm like, okay. And then he goes, okay, so we're thinking something big and make sure, you know, we've, we've got this right. And I went, okay, so someone's called me up from England and he wants to do a test in Australia, so he wants Crocodile Dundee, basically. He wants red dirt. Big distance. I'm like, okay, cool. I mean, there's no such thing as short distance in Australia, let's be honest. But (laughs) yes, that's what we wanted. Big distance and red dirt. So yeah, plan A was uh, to stay in New South Wales um, because I had to because of the obvious and see what's the biggest 
gnarliest thing I could put together in the state. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and fine red dirt, which which we have. And it's yeah. just a case of going west and then you just go west more and you keep going west and, <laughs> and, and you were aiming you get, Yeah, you were aiming for somewhere, weren't you? Yeah, it's called Mungo National Park, and it's this archaeological site of incredible importance and incredible history, 99% of which was lost on me as I battled flies and uh, awful roads and dodged kangaroos and yeah, went without sleep and drove around floodwaters. But yeah, plan A to make a medium-sized answer out of a what was supposed to be a short one was to go to mungo national park drive around in the dirt stay in a very nice hotel out there and then um write a bunch of things about how difficult it was and you know woe is me and you know i stayed in a five-star resort out in uh you know this beautiful (laughs) part of the world but don't give too much away okay um and and okay and then when did the reality begin so that all went completely out the window that plan uh and it was all down to a storm that came in and just started wreaking havoc. Yes, uh, we are pretty good for storms at the moment. I don't know if the news is making it over there, but a good section of the country is actually currently underwater again. Ah. But this particular one was kind of the the first one. Mm-hmm. And the second we set off, it's just this huge, like, continent-wide cloud coming from the west <laughs> to where we were going to be arriving, which it did exactly when we were supposed to get there. And the roads, uh, they're all dirt, so they shut them the second there's a hint of rain, otherwise they just get destroyed. And so we, a two-day leisurely drive out across highways and dirt roads and et cetera just has turned into this ballistic, let's just get there as quickly as humanly possible Um drive which then turned into a oh okay so everyone's going to just crash and and block our path immediately yeah, yeah. So you came across a couple of jackknife lorries and stuff which didn't make your life yeah, easy yeah weird weird things like a one had gone over on its side and another one had jackknifed across the road and it's just like everyone went full kamikaze that day and we had to backtrack probably about as much as we drove yeah, yeah, and just so, uh, and I just realised that there may be some listeners that aren't exactly aware of what the Hyundai i twenty N is. It is a li- it's a super mini. It's a it's a hot hatch, but it's a it's a small small little super mini. It is not it, the correct car for driving across the outback. <laughs> it is very much the incorrect car for driving across the outback. So, how is the experience of you know driving across these rutted roads and through mud and and all sorts of stuff that you was being thrown at you? Um, I heard a bit of bush wisdom before we left that if you drive very quickly across the top of corrugations, you won't get the full washboard effect. So I decided to try that out. And what happens is if you imagine a flat road has a hundred percent grip, and then you've got a sine wave going across the road for corrugations, and you're just hitting the tops of those waves, you got about 10% grip and you've had to go fast to get there (laughs) so it's all of the speed none of the grip and uh it was fantastic i loved it and it just soaked it up like it was nothing to it but yeah it was um it was something that's uh less clever in retrospect shall we say like so many you know the visuals that australia offers and plus throw kind of 
acts of God at, it at the same time. Plus a small hatch that doesn't really fit there, like a fiesta size thing in, you know, in in a, a stormy, muddy place. The shots were amazing. Was it was it great to capture them? And you know, you know, what was it like with the photographer? That's what people don't understand is that we don't just drive places. We have to visually tell the story at the same time. How was that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was a lot of very, very long days and a lot of wanting to murder the photographer. <laughs> <laughs> Why was that? Elaborate. <laughs> It's the it's that you know you said it's a very very small car and it's just you and everything is against you and everything's across the road and you're doing you're trying to do distance and he wants to stop for all these shots and you're like no 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 we got to get somewhere and or the yeah, storm's going to cut very you small off car yeah. with cross purposes basically yeah yeah so. Uh, Two clashing personalities in one very small Korean hatchback equals high stress <laughs> levels. Um, <laughs> but let, let's bring it back to the to the car because it's the overall winner. Um, you know, we haven't driven it in quite the extreme places that you have, but we have both driven it on track and on British B roads, and it's just such a fun. I can't. I don't know how they produce a car like that for that amount of money it's sensational how much fun it is it feels fizzy stiff it's exciting you've got loads of modes to play with and stuff it's a real like gadget that's what i liked about it um and did you did you come away loving the car or do you just never want to look at one ever again <laughs> um it wasn't it wasn't um photographed but at the end when we finally got back to the garage where we started we'd been i think for the entire week i got a cumulative nine hours sleep that week and I just we just got there. We'd driven through the storm as well to get back on this huge, like, 14-hour drive that one day to get back, like, just actually didn't stop the entire time. And I actually gave it a little cuddle, I will admit. <laughs> it is it is a remarkably cute car, which does just exude fun. And, you know, it's affordable. It's, it is a proper, proper hot hatch. As soon as we first drove it on track, it's the most approachable thing, but also teaches you a lot about yeah. driving dynamics and where you can push it without falling off and crashing. And it is cute at the same time. So, uh, no, top work high end for making an amazing car. And may I just say, Craig, top marks for uh, you wrote in the dirt on the back windscreen uh Hyundai i20 and top gear car of the year which I thought was an amazing touch I don't know whether the art department um told you to do that or whether that was just your initiative but I just wanted to say nice touch from memory and to give him credit apart from all the murdering I think that might have been the photographer's idea oh, but keen-eyed do you know what he's one of my favorite we'll photographers in the world <laughs> he's such a talented bloke and 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 just a nice guy to boot Keen readers will see that that is actually uh, the font, the Top Gear font, because oh. I was secretly the Top Gear font person. It was, Craig, write this and we'll scan it and that'll be our font. Yeah, yeah. That's the, Craig's basically the only one in the Top Gear office that has neat handwriting is what he's trying to say. I uh, write in wingdicks. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I just said to go. Brent's still learning how to write. Yeah, yeah, uh, symbols are easier. All right, well, Craig, thank you so much for coming on and it's probably ridiculously late where you are, um, so I appreciate it and, and thank you for taking on that adventure because it was one hell of a oh, trip. A pleasure, on, a pleasure on both counts. All right, you know what time it is now, Ron? What time is it, Jack? It's quiz time, my friend. My quiz o'clock. It's quiz o'clock. Let's get quizzing. 
Um, and this is our regular little pub quiz called the Top Gear Top Nine. So these are listicles um, that we run online every week. They're in the mag. Um, basically picking top nine cars and things and ideas from from the world of Top Gear and putting them into a nice bite-sized list. And the idea with the game is we get three guesses each to guess uh, what things or items are on the list. But in order to score this and to adjudicate this and to hand out snide comments, we're going to need someone else, aren't we? We need a judge. Yes. We need Ollie Q, the uh, Top Gear's top nerd, basically. <laughs> <laughs> we're all friends. We're it's all not friends. being around the bush. Yeah, it definitely yeah. needs some new business cards printing with no, the new titles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's the guy who couldn't get rid of his top trunks cars even now. So um, Made a career out of it. What have we, yeah, what have we got this week? Well, as gentlemen well-informed on motoring matters, you'll be aware of this toll road lives in the Eiffel Mountains by the name of the Nürburgring. Oh, I thought you were going to say M6. But can you think of cars so nerdily dedicated to the Nürburgring, they've been named after it? I'm looking for Nürburgring special editions, please. There's a real time where that was, a, you know, a real popular thing. Yeah, I don't think it's ago. over. I don't I think it's, it's over, over, but it's just not as popular now. Yeah, it's the whole lap, lap record bragging rights and just, you know, being able to justify having the Nürburgring sticker on the back of your car. I'll just say, I feel like it, it might be a slightly loose topic we've got here that could be open to interpretation. Does it have to have the word Nürburgring printed on it somewhere? It's a good question. I'm going to allow cars that don't, purely because as I was tossing these off in my head, there are plenty that don't have Nürburgring in the name, but they were specifically developed for... Nurburgring, okay. lap gurus. a heavy association with said. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just going to go straight with one with the name because. Oh, you, uh, basically, you want to get in there early yeah, before, yeah, get in there I, early, right. so them up. before I run out right. of them. Let's go, go some run first. Let, let, let's go. Let's get that low hanging fruit, right? Go. Let's go. Let's grab it. All right, so let's go for the course of VXR Nurburgring. Yes, absolutely correct. The VXR that. Kind of made us take VXR seriously. Came along with its Bilstein dampers, I think, and it had a limited slip diff. And we all thought VXRs were just kind of yobby cars. And then this was a, a really good hot hatch. And then the Fiesta ST came along and everyone forgot about it. It but was still yobby with that paint. And I was going to say, did we ever take VXR seriously? Like, I mean, it was it was the best, one of the best of the breed, definitely. But they were still always a bit overpowered. Just looking it up here, hairy. when that came out, that car was 22,000 quid for a Corsa. Yeah, and that was a good 10, 15 years ago. So someone must have taken them seriously. It should have been on a BSM fleet. Everyone learned to drive in a course, and I wanted to drive in that one. That front diff was mega in it, by the way. But yeah. Over to you, Jack. Come on. Okay, so I'm going to um, pluck from that bottom branch as well and go with the Lexus LFA Nurburgring edition. Yeah, absolutely. This was number one on the list. The LFA was developed at the Nurburgring. They did a load of testing there, and then 50 LFA Nurburgrings were built. 10 extra horsepower. I mean, would you ever notice it? No. <laughs> uh, gear shifts were 0.15 seconds quicker. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. And each person who bought one got Nürburgring driving lessons and a 12-month circuit pass, which is as Christmas stocking fillers go. That's a pretty good Better one. than a calendar. Nice yeah, little yeah. perk. Nice little perk. Shame, though, when you crash it on the second lap round and you still got, you know, still you got, got 10 months. months left on your thing. <laughs> but, you know, nice little perk. Right, row. Getting a bit harder um, now. It's a high-scoring okay. round, no pressure. Yes, this is bad. As a fan of JDM cars, there are two from the same breed, so I'm hoping that Jack knows neither of them because then I'm flying away with it. But um, you can bet on it. There was the R34 Skyline. Oh, we're getting into engine car model codes now. Yeah, yeah. R34. So this is a Nissan. The Paul Walker one, basically. Yeah. Uh, and there was the NUR edition to celebrate uh, the Nürburgring and its association with Nissan. 
There was indeed, because of course, the Nissan GTR was one of the first cars to set a bona fide lap time around the ring. I think it was, might have been the first car to go under eight minutes. I wonder if I found that wrong and then the internet's going to come It was me. doing it before it was cool. Yeah, completely. It was there before it went mainstream and before marketing budgets were being poured into the Nürburgring. You're absolutely right. There was an R34 Skyline GTR V-Spec NUR. They built 1,003 of them. Seems weird, doesn't it? You'd build a thousand cars, nice round number, and then mm. I don't know, maybe the Sultan of Brunei said, "I must have three. Yeah. And um, now it's phenomenally valuable, and ironically, you'll never see it on the track it's named after. No, of course you won't. Point to Rome. Point to Rome. Now I'm going to take uh, this idea that you you said they don't actually have to be the uh, have the Nurburgring written on them, but or no written on them, but uh, just to be heavily associated with it. And I think the car that really just ripped it all up uh, in terms of front-wheel drive lap records was the Renault Megane Trophy R. Can you can you see my screen from here? No. We've never had such a high-scoring round in a Top Gear Top 9. Ooh. But yes, the Megane, there's multiple Megans. I've gone, I'm going to give it to you. It's the RS Trophy R. Is that the one you're, you're talking about? The car that... Yes, it was. There we are. I've given that away. The car with the carbon wheels. Yeah, a Renault Megane that had carbon ceramic brakes. The 70K. We've all driven it. It felt like it would stand on its nose if you looked at the brake pedal. Phenomenally silly car. I think it was 75,000 yeah. quid with and they the sold two in the UK. Yeah. But yeah, an absolute the commitment, classic in its the own time. The commitment they put into developing that car was... It's lovely when they throw the budget out the window and just make it silly as possible, isn't it? Yeah, here's a little stat for you. That car did a 7 minute 40.1 second lap around the ring. Um, when someone very brave did a Veyron lap, it did 7 minute 40. Wow. So this is a Megane that's as quick as a 1,000 horsepower hypercar around the green hell. Nice. Two points each. <clears throat> this is going to come down to a tiebreaker, gents. Well, I'm going to go front-wheel drive as well. And it was the car that kind of made Cooper, I took it seriously afterwards, was the Sub-8. Because, uh, well... It had those massive Brembo discs at the front. It was kind of chasing after the Trophy R at that point. I don't know which one came I think first, they, actually. They sort of exchanged lap times for a bit, didn't they? He's right. We're going to give him the correct answer straight away. The Seat Leon Cupra Ultimate Sub 8. Oh, sorry. The... Yeah, I went for Cupra because obviously it's a new brand now, which is completely yeah, yeah, yeah. dissociated from all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, but before they were yet. selling rose gold velvetizers with a Cupra badge on them, they were doing hot hatches, which is what they should have sticked to. Um, yes, this car was a, a weird one. It held the Nurburgring lap record for about 35 seconds. And that's yeah, a very quick lap. It was, <laughs> but it was a 4,200 quid pack, and you got lighter wheels, you got the bigger brakes that you mentioned, which were definitely the, the headline feature, and then you got no air conditioning. So you could only do one absolutely, literally red hot lap, very and then you would lap. immediately yeah. faint from dehydration. Super yeah, car. phenomenally silly car, and very few people would expect that pack. But ironically, if you can find one of those in future, it will be the most valuable Seat ever made. And may I just extend an olive branch across the desk and say congratulations. First time anyone's got three out of three, although I still do have one guess left. Mm. It's a full house and you've obviously both cheated. So frankly, if you uh, don't get this correct, then okay. now, you're in trouble. Uh, I could pick uh, anything really from uh, Hyundai's uh, new performance sub-brand because the N in Hyundai N is... Nurburgring. I think it has two meanings actually, but part it of does. it does. Do you is, know the second meaning? Uh, no, but <laughs> no, no. We've got to find that I do. It stands for Nam Yang. 
which oh. is where they develop the cars in their South Korean homeland. But they also have an engineering base at the Nürburgring, hence... They do, overlo- and- overlooks the Dottinger Strait. There we go. And supposedly, they also chose the end, because when you turn it the wrong way around, it looks like a, um, a chicane. Oh, I'll do the nerd stuff, yeah. Cheers, mate. Um, <laughs> so anyway, look, I30 N. It's not on the list. Oh. <laughs> you, you were after, so on my team there. You were backing that, me up. You were we were having a little dirt nerdy ding dong. I was loving flow it. in the battle, but it, you're absolutely right. It probably should be on there because it does have it in the name. But no, I've gone for the things like the BMW E34 M5 Nürburgring. They did a ring edition of that. There was, of course, how did you forget the Volkswagen Golf GTI Club Sport S, another front-wheel drive hero yeah, that yeah. had no, a Nürburgring R- mode in the suspension. And yeah. the R35 N attack? Of course, yeah. So Come on. That was the, oh, uh, about six or seven points now. an expert now. after the fact, aren't they? So, yeah. Uh, so uh, now I just had for the tie break. Yeah. Oh, I make that 3-2. A glorious win for Rowan. 4-2 if you get the other one I just put said as well. But yeah, I'll take the win. You know, I had a lovely time. I came here with nothing. I go home with memories. Thanks for the quiz, boys. Ollie, you're a star. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Cheers up. Well, my brain is a little bit fried from that quiz, so we'll end there. But before we go, remember to check out topgear.com for car news, reviews, and anything else we can find floating around on the internet. Um, And if you haven't already subscribed to the pod, make sure you do so, so you don't miss an episode. And, you know, we're across all of the other channels as well, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and they're all in our show notes if you check those out. And if you really fancy getting the magazine... That's available in the show notes, but, you know, pick it up. You'll see everything that we've talked about in this uh, edition and more, but in print form. Yes, it's, it's a new fangled thing. Check it out. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you next time. See ya.